So high unemployment is going to be an issue for the land business where people like in 2010 were calling me up and saying, Mark, there's between paying this land note or food. I'm taking food. Mm -hmm. And so we had to either rework those notes or recalibrate our portfolio with defaults. But right now we're at it because we don't do credit checks. We don't mind defaults. We're about a 10% default rate. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build multiple streams of passive income through real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Mark Podolsky, aka The Land Geek. And today we're talking about land investing. And if you're new to this business, if you're new to learning about how land investing works, I definitely strongly encourage you to stick with us because Mark is going to give you a description of how the business works. And it's probably not what you think. It's probably a lot more cash flowing than you might expect if you haven't really dug into how land investing works, particularly with Mark's model. It's really interesting stuff. And uh, Mark's actually been on the show before. He was one of the very early guests on the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. And I'm excited to have him back on the show. He's a very nice guy, very knowledgeable, and shares a lot of lessons with us today. How the business works, how it has been impacted by the pandemic and inflation, rising interest rates, and everything else that's you know going on these days as well as the main risk driver as he sees it in the land investing model. He's going to tell us about that as well. Really interesting business model. I know there are a few of you out there who listen to the show who have dug into this model. And I have a few friends here in the area who do this type of business as well. So there are people out there doing this business and succeeding with it. And it's great to learn from Mark about how he does it and so much more today. I think you're going to learn a lot. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor and I focus on commercial multifamily and self-storage investing. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and would like to learn about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, our guest is Mark Podolsky, aka The Land Geek. Without any further ado, here we go. Mark, thank you so much for coming back on the show, rejoining us for our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background. Can you tell us about what you do in the land business? Taylor Lote, so good to see you again, brother. Sure. So in the land business, I actually buy and sell undeveloped raw land, and I make a cash flow like a rental home, but I don't have any headaches. So no renters, no rehabs, no renovations, no rodents. And then I try to help people get out of what I call solo economic dependency, which means that they're a person not working, they're not making any money. So my my big purpose in life is to help people solve not just their money problems, but their money and time problems. Great. I love that. And we're going to dig a bit into how the land business works here. And for our listeners out there who somehow missed your original appearance on the show, you were one of the first guests on the Passive Wealth Strategy show. And uh, it's great to reconnect with you. And I'm going to, I'm looking forward to digging into your business and how the pandemic and inflation and rising interest rates and everything have impacted the business. But at a high level, let's dig in a little bit into how the business works, how you find deals and really how they turn into or can turn into streams of, of passive income. Because I think this is a topic that until you dig into it, 
you have really no idea of how this land business might work. Yeah, yeah. So Taylor, we'll just use you as a case study. So where do you live? Uh, Richmond, Virginia. Richmond, Virginia. Okay. So I'm going to assume that you own five acres of raw land in Colorado and you owe, say, $200 in back taxes. So Taylor, you're essentially advertising two important things to me. Number one, you have no emotional attachment to the raw land. You're in Virginia, properties in Colorado. And number two, you're financially distressed in some weird way because we don't pay for things like our property taxes. We don't value them in the same way. As a result, the county treasurer keeps sending you notices saying, Taylor, you don't pay your property taxes. You're going to lose that property to a tax deed or a tax lien investor. So all I'm going to do is look at the comparable sales on your five-acre parcel for the last 12 to 18 months. I'm going to take the lowest comparable sale, let's say it's $10,000, and divide by four. And that's what Warren Buffett would call a 300% margin of safety. So I'm going to send you an actual offer of $2,500. Now you accept it. Why? Because for you, $2,500 is better than nothing. In reality, three to 5% of people accept my quote unquote top dollar offer. But now that you've accepted it, I have to go through due diligence or in-depth research. Number one, I have to confirm you still own the property. Number two, I have to confirm back taxes are only $200. Number three, I have to make sure there's been no breaks in the chain of title. Number four, I have to make sure there's no liens or encumbrances. And there's this whole big property checklist. Now, because it's only $2,500, I'm going to outsource all the due diligence to my team in the Philippines. I'll pay about $11. They're connected to an American title company, and we'll assume everything checks out. So while they're doing their due diligence, I'm getting the plat maps, the GIS maps, the satellite maps, the aero maps, and I'm getting everything I need to get done for marketing as well. So now, Taylor, I'm going to sell your five-acre parcel 30 days or less, and I'm going to make a cash flow. So I have a built-in best buyer. Do you know who it is? No, I don't. The neighbors. Oh. The neighbors. So I'm going to send out neighbor letters saying, hey, here's your opportunity. Protect your privacy. Protect your views. Know your neighbor. Oftentimes, the neighbors will buy. Now, if they pass, I'll go to my buyer's list. My buyer's list passes. I'll go to a little website you may have heard of. It's called Craigslist. It's the 15th most trafficked website in the United States. Wow. I'll go to one I know you've heard of called Meta or Facebook, buy, sell groups, and the marketplace. And then I'm going to go to the lands. I'm going to go to landmoto.com, landsofamerica.com, landandfarm.com, landflip.com, landhub.com. These are platforms where people buy and sell raw land. But do you want to know the secret? I want to know all the secrets. Okay. The secret is I'm going to make it irresistible for my buyer. So all I'm going to ask for to control this five-acre parcel is a $2,500 down payment. And then I'll make it a car payment. Let's say two ninety seven a month for the next eighty four months and nine percent interest. So I get this one time sale. I get my money out on the down payment. I could go six to ten months out, and now I'm getting two ninety seven a month of passive income and nine percent interest over the next eighty four months. Taylor, again, no renters, no rehabs, no renovations, no rodents, and because I'm not dealing with a tenant, I'm exempt from Dodd Frank, RESPA, and the Safe Act. So it's a simple game. Can we create enough land notes? where our passive income exceeds our fixed expenses. And now we're working because we want to, not because we have to. Awesome. Wow. There's so much there. So first you mentioned three to 5% of people are going to accept your original offer of $2,500 in this case. But I imagine there's some level after that, when you get into your due diligence, there are people who don't own the property or all those other contingencies that you mentioned. It doesn't work out for one reason or another. So when you look at from your accepted offer to something you actually close on and buy, what what does that rate look like? So 
if I so as far as like the three to five percent of people accept my offer, how many? What's my close rate on that? Yeah, from that to close. Yeah, yeah. so one percent is my close rate of the number of people that accept the offer, or from the original outreach cold offers to so close. right. So so let's say that I send out a uh, hundred offers, right? Mm-hmm. I'll get three to five accepted offers. Mm-hmm. Now, of those three to five, I might end up buying one or two. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. I was trying to make sure it wasn't one percent of three percent, or or you know that yeah, that, yeah, that no, breakdown. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that makes a lot of sense. So on the back end, I wonder how you protect yourself from. Okay, you have you eventually find a buyer, somebody who pays you twenty five hundred dollars up front, and I think you said two ninety seven a month for the right. property itself. What if they stop paying and and how do you service that no do you hire a mortgage servicer I mean there's a lot of logistical kind of you know lego pieces that need to go in right, there right. I mean we're we're going to talk about software at the end of the, of the podcast right. but I have two favorite pieces of software so 90% of this business is automated with software on the front end inexpensive virtual assistants and software on the back end so on the front end it's a, a program called lgpass.com a land geek proprietary automated software system and it just manages the front end of the business. You upload a list. It does all your mailings. It takes you through like an assembly line. Then you got your due diligence. Then you got your marketing. Then you have your selling. Then you have your closing. It does all the documents, which, you know, to answer your question is, well, what happens if they default? Well, there's three documents. There's a promissory note. There's a purchase sale agreement. And there's a land sale contract. Now, a land sale contract is very different than a deed of trust. So for all you homeowners out there, you have a deed of trust, which means that the property is deeded into your name and it's attached to a lien. The bank typically will have a lien on your house. So if you stop paying your mortgage, then the bank will basically start the foreclosure process on you. And the foreclosure process is no fun, right? It's going to hurt your credit rating and you'll eventually lose the house and it's just no fun for anybody. But a land contract remains means that I continue to own that asset until you pay off your promissory note. So if you stop paying, Taylor, there's no costs of foreclosure. Mm. I keep your down payment. I keep your monthly payments. It then lowers my cost basis, right? So that property that was $2,500, it might not be only a $1,500 cost basis. When I resell it, I get a new down payment, I get new monthly payments, and I extend out my return on investment. Okay. Okay. Great. That does make sense. And you... So you eventually, uh, when they do pay the loan off, when they don't default, then you're going to go through the process of you know the the deed and everything. Convey, yeah, then I'll convey title via a warranty deed. Correct. Okay. Okay. And right. Then, and then that. I have a software on the back end called GeekPay.io. It's a set it and forget it collection system that will automate collecting that money via ACH. So then they get notifications. I get notifications if they're in default. Then it, you know, my team can start working on that as well. But if they pay off their note, I get a notification, hey, time to deed the property. Awesome. Okay. Very cool. So today I wanted to dig into how all the recent economic changes, changes in real estate and everything, interest rates going up and all that has impacted your business because I would imagine the profile or the the, uh, percentage of people who have land who are in distress versus the actual end user demand for land and all these kinds of things have changed quite a bit in unique ways over the last couple of years. So let's dig into it and maybe first start with has the profile of a distressed, you know, seller changed? Are there more? Are there fewer? What do you what are you seeing? So right now we're still seeing it's a little bit more difficult to buy Hmm. than it is to sell. So in every market cycle, let's just say like 2008, it was really easy to buy. And it's more difficult to sell. 
as the economy started to turn around, then it was equilibrium. It was easy to buy. It was easy to sell. As the markets heated up and we've seen real estate prices go higher, then it's been harder to buy and easier to sell. We're on the long tail of real estate. So as commercial and residential are feeling the the economic you know results of higher interest rates um, and more inventory on the market, land is not affected yet. So we are basically, we're, we're seeing that we have a crystal ball, essentially. We see what happens to the, the head of the of real estate and we'll say, okay, that's going to happen to us in about a year to 18 months. And so as of today, we haven't been affected yet, but we're preparing to be affected. So right now, it's a good time for us to stay in cash as opposed to, you know, let's say leverage or keep buying and buying and buying. That's not to say we're not buying and buying, but we're being a little bit more conservative because we know we're going to have really good deals in 12 to 18 months. Okay. So how much are you concerned with economic changes in one direction or another causing people to default on their payments? I mean, did you see that at the beginning of your, not just people, your, the people who you've, you know, sold these properties on a contract to, did you see that? An uptick in defaults at the beginning of the pandemic. Are you expecting that as you know? Maybe we head deeper into this recession. Who knows what's going to happen? What, what do you think? It was really weird because when the pandemic hit, our business really took off, and I'm not sure exactly why, <laughs> but it really, it really did. And so we weren't really affected at all. Um, and our business is virtual as well, so we have virtual assistants, we have software. Nothing changed in our business at all. There was no, you know, face-to-face, belly-to-belly type of, of deal. We didn't have a sales office in any of these areas where it, it might have affected us. But interestingly enough, as the government kept pumping money into the economy, people needed to put that money someplace. And well, here's an asset that lasts forever. And it's an inflation hedge. So as the headlines kept saying, we're going to have an inflation problem. Oh, here's a good <laughs> investment. Buy raw land. So we have been the beneficiaries of this economy. And so as interest rates continue to go up and they're fighting inflation, we're, st- we're still benefiting. Where we will get hit is if people lose their jobs. So high unemployment is going to be an issue for the land business where people like in 2010 were calling me up and saying, Mark, is between paying this land note or food. I'm taking food. Mm-hmm. And so we had to either rework those notes or recalibrate our portfolio with defaults. But right now we're at, because we don't do credit checks, we don't mind defaults. We're about a 10% default rate. Interesting. As I think about that, a 10% default rate sounds high for for a, a time that sounds like at this point it's relatively healthy. It still sounds much higher than I would have anticipated. Yeah. And that's simply because it's we're not doing credit checks. Hmm. We it's you know it's not something that we try to avoid. So you mentioned in the in the case in 2010 when people were calling you and saying it's between this land and food. I'm I'm picking food. You would either rework the note or you take the land back or, or whatever. Right, right. In some you know in some situations where people had put significant money in, we would you know give them the credit and say, hey, when things get better, come back to us. You can get a credit on another piece of property. Hmm. Interesting. So you would you would still take that land. The we still the, take the land back. We okay. still resell it because we want to get that note performing. Mm-hmm. But we also wanted to keep a customer because situations are inevitably going to change, and they would come back to us and say, "Hey, you know, I've got a you know forty five hundred dollar credit. What do you got?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, I've got this twenty thousand dollar piece of property. You might love. Let's put forty five hundred dollars down." 
Okay. So how much is your, it, it sounds like most of your customer base of, of who you're selling land to are individuals more so than say businesses. If you've got a piece of, of commercially zoned land, you're, you're just not getting that as much of that as opposed to, hey, somebody's buying a parcel out in the woods because they want to hunt on it. Or like you said about buying a neighboring parcel because you want to know your neighbors. Right, uh, right. It's more that than the businesses. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're still going after consumers. Okay. Is that due to the profile of the types of land that you're able to buy on the front end and the types of people who are distressed or more these are just the people who are interested in buying land? Does that make I, sense? I think it's I think it's a combination of both. I mean, we're still an hour to two to three hours. I mean it's rural land mm. outside of a city. So if you're a company, well, this would either just be a long-term investment for you if you're in the path of growth. But if you're in the path of growth, I may not sell it anyways. So I might just keep it for myself and put it in a in a trust. So you know, more rural property is going to be more for people that you know. Our, our typical buyer is what I call a legacy investor. They want this asset. They can afford this asset. Maybe they want to take their family out there, use it recreationally. But they're typically not going to to build right away. In fact, if someone calls me up and says, "Hey, Mark." I just saw this piece of land. I, I I can't wait to move there with my you know my spouse and kids. I'm like, uh, no, this isn't <laughs> it. you know you're 30 miles from services. Like God forbid something happens, no one's coming out there to get you. So you know we'll we'll tell people they they can't develop on this land yet if they want to do that. But for other people that don't like people, they love it. They want to go out there and they want to hunt and they want to fish and they want to camp and they want to take their kids out there that has no cell service. And everybody unplugs and they like the idea of owning something that, again, lasts forever. Okay. So I wonder, setting aside the the preferences of the buyers and everything, what percentage of the parcels are buildable? I mean, there's there's like services like you mentioned. There's also, you can have parcels that are just too far away from roads. You can't even get to them. They're right. way out in the woods or maybe they're not zoned to be buildable, you know, whatever. There can be all kinds of issues. How many of them can be built on as opposed to not? Yeah. I mean, we own so much property. I, it's hard for me to give you a, a, an accurate <laughs> answer on that, but I would say that I honestly don't know. I mean, you know, everything can be built on, right? Mm. I mean, and, and you can do, there's a highest and best use for every piece of property. Even swampland, you can put shiitake mushrooms on. Ooh. So, you know, there, there's, there is a highest and best use. It just depends on that person, what they want to use on that property. But as far as, you know, profiling a development. So yeah, we, we buy big parcels of property. We'll subdivide it and we'll sell it to people that, you know, one day want to build out there and we'll have roads and power and it will be you know, something that they can do. But, you know, again, like in this model, I want to buy property 25 cents the dollar. That's where I make my money. I'm not so concerned about is this going to be a beautiful piece of land, you know, next to a lake and, <laughs> you know, you know, it's going to be, you know, next to a ski area or, or whatever that is. That's, that's not the model. Now, that's not to say that you couldn't do those things and target them. You absolutely could. But I would argue that you're going to have to mail a lot more for every one deal. You're not going to have a three to 5% rate. If you, let's say, for example, you, you know, you're looking for a, an infill lot in San Francisco. Well, you're not going to get that 25 cents on a dollar. Three cents a dollar. Like they're going to go the biggest, <laughs> baddest land broker in town, and they'll sell at one hundred twenty-five cents on the dollar. Mm. So you have to be aware of of your market and and how you you know you're gonna you're gonna look. Interesting. Okay, so one of the things I do wonder about that is is I have a situation in mind. Uh, I know somebody who now we're going from rural to urban, so I know somebody who owns a a home 
in a city uh, and there's a neighboring parcel that's what you think is like a sliver of land, right? It's it's not buildable. It's too narrow. I mean, it's probably not zoned right, but there's really only two potential buyers. It's the neighbors on either side. It's people that I know and their neighbor on on the other side. And there's some level of temptation to seek out those those owners of those little slivers. Maybe they think they can squeeze the neighbors and try to get a really good price. But hey, I'm Joe Investor coming from elsewhere, just looking to you know play play a little dumb. Hey, I'm going to offer you a pretty sweetheart deal on this, but hey, it'll get you out. It'll get you to move on. Is that a wise way to go? Or is that maybe a little too niche and risky because then I'm going to potentially wind up with a, bunch, a lot of little slivers of land all over these? Yeah, I want the biggest buyer pool possible. Mm. So, you know, they only have two people that I could really sell to. <laughs> um, it's not great. I mean, and also, you know, you don't want a Yellowstone situation. I mean, I heard about a guy that would put up like, you know, pink billboards on these slivers and just annoy the neighbors to the point where like, look, I'm going to keep annoying you until you buy the land. Well, yeah, is that really the best way to do business? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Okay. So we've also touched on notes and how they you know, kind of apply to this business and how you think about those notes. Do you, it sounds like you hold onto the notes, you don't sell them off. Have you kind of flirted or thought about the idea of selling notes off to to note investors? Is there a reason you don't do I, that or would do that? I'm a net buyer of notes. I don't sell my own notes because I don't need to, but it would be a great strategy if I had a huge deal and I needed to raise capital quickly. Selling notes is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. When you do the when you do the math, it's tremendous, tremendous math. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. Okay. So I want to touch in on or, or home in on the weakness of the business that we discuss. All businesses have weaknesses. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. So you mentioned about high unemployment times being when you're concerned, which is reasonable. That's the way a lot of businesses work. If you had to rethink or redesign the business model in a way that would reduce that risk level or eliminate it or whatever, change the risk profile, what would you do? How would you change things, maybe redesign things to put the risk elsewhere in the business? There's no no such thing as risk-free, just looking to relocate it somewhere else. What, what do you think? Is that possible? I mean, the model... I mean, I used to have a podcast called The Best Passive Income Model. And so I don't know how we would change things to reduce the risk because we are buying the asset 25, 30 cents on the dollar. It's pretty cheap. We can flip it. I mean, for 50, 60 cents on the dollar, someone else on the other end of that deal. I mean, I've done it 6,000 times. I've never been stuck with a piece of raw land. <laughs> so I've never lost money on a piece of raw land. I, I think the biggest risk for people is in their due diligence. So you got to go like epa.gov. Let's say you're buying in Ohio or Pennsylvania. You don't want to buy near a manufacturing site that might be dumping because then you're liable for millions of dollars of cleanup. So I think that the the issue is is in that you certainly don't want to overpay. So you have to know how to look at the comparable sales and and know your comps. But if you do those two things, it's it's really hard to to lose or get in trouble in in raw land. And um I, I would say that, you know, this is a business. This is a volume business. We take multifamily, one multifamily deal can just move the needle mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. your life. Well, one land deal won't do it. Like, it's this a volume business. So I always joked when I talked to multifamily people, like this is the gateway drug to get into bigger multi, you know, bigger deals or multifamily. But you know, this takes very little capital to start. And if you start building the business, you have the systems, you have the processes. Um, I've got my second book coming out, Dirt Rich 2, 
the plot thickens on how to scale a land business, talking about all these issues. So if you do those things, you you know you you really have a, a way to become totally free and solve your your money and time problems. Nice. So buy for a good price. Do all the due diligence up front, so you're not buying a super fun site or something that you might have to pay a lot to clean up, and you can really mitigate a lot of the risks. If I'm getting you right. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Cool. All right. Love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Mark, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show, but you've been on the show before you've answered those questions. I've got three new ones for our returning guests. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is your favorite book, whether for business or personal enjoyment? Okay. So this book I think is amazing. Um, it is The Man Who Bought the Waldorf. Have you heard about this book? No, I haven't. Let me see if I've got it back here. Hold on. Okay. Yeah. You'll, you'll love this. He's turning it around to his bookshelf. Coming back. It's around. an old book. It's about Conrad Hilton and it's The Life of Conrad and Hilton by Thomas Ewing Dabney. And it's not in print anymore, oh, but man. it's an amazing, amazing story about how he kept working with the banks and building his empire. So Interesting. It, it's, it's an amazing story. And there's so many lessons to be gleaned from his story in real estate, business, and negotiating, and life, and in just limitations, you know, these self-limiting beliefs. He had none. So it's a great, great book. I highly recommend it. You, you can find them. They're out there for sure. Awesome. I wonder if it's possible to, uh, I don't know what the digital rights look like on that, if maybe the copyright is effective or not. Maybe somebody uh, enterprising can can get that book accessible for the rest of us in a digital format. Yeah. All right. So we had your favorite book. That's an interesting one. That's a new one I haven't, I haven't heard of yet. Second question, what is an indispensable tool, technology system, piece of software, something in your business that you just could not live without? I can't live without the two pieces of software we talked about earlier, lgpass.com and geekpay.io. They save me so much time, so much money. Actually, geekpay.io is a software that actually makes me money because we charge a note setup fee and a note collection fee. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So purpose-built pieces of software for this investing model. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if we want to go outside of what I love because I'm geeky and I love software, for sales, I like followupboss.com. And for organization and the, the the types of automations you can do, Airtable.com and Zapier. I mean, Zapier.com is like, if you're not checking out Zapier.com every day. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, Zapier is pretty cool. I always pronounce it Zapier. Everybody else pronounces yeah. it Zapier. but Because uh, they yeah. call it Zaps. Zaps. No, that, I, that makes sense. I, I see the, uh, the the how you would come to that uh, conclusion. To me, just Zapier yeah. makes the most sense reading the word itself. But uh, the root Zap. So very cool. Very cool. Third question, where is somewhere you're excited to go in 2023? So I just got back from Bali and Saigon and in 2022 and 2023, I think we're going to go December and January, African Safari, South Africa. Whoa. Very excited. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Very fun. 
Well, Mark, thank you for coming back on the show, giving us a refresh on the land investing business model and update on how the economy has changed some of maybe the risks or how you think about those things in your business. For our listeners out there who want to get in touch, want to learn more about what you do, want to track you down on the internet or anything like that, where can they find you? I think the best place to go is thelandgeek.com, thelandgeek.com. And for those people that really want to learn more about it, I think the best way to learn anything is by doing it. So I have a free course, how to double your money 30 days or less. Go to thelandgeek.com forward slash quick deals, thelandgeek.com forward slash quick deals, and see if this business even resonates with you. Very cool. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.